it is uh, still cold, but the sun is fantastic. <laughs> As in really warm and such a nice change after the cold, dark days of January. There is a slight purple haze over all the gardens here in this neighborhood. It's all these crocuses that I already saw emerging from the grass last week. But they are now fully above ground, giving a beautiful touch of color to all these gardens where most of the other flowers are still underground. The tulips and the daffodils. That will probably take a few more weeks and slightly higher temperatures for them to uh, occur. But these crocuses really give me hope that springtime is coming. <laughs> I don't know in your part of the world what kind of weather it is. I'm hearing stories about lots of rain in uh, New Zealand. In, uh, in Auckland, they even had inundations. In, uh, in the US, on the other side of the planet almost, depending where you are in the US, uh, there's this ongoing cold spell. Everything is still frozen. I even saw a picture of, I don't know if that was a, a real picture or just one of those doctored images of a, a frozen shark. On, that people found somewhere on the beach that sounds almost too crazy to be true but fact is in some parts of the world it's still very very cold and there is no trace at all of springtime I'm glad to be uh, exactly in the middle of all that you know it's, it's dry relatively dry we haven't had much rain and uh, we're getting more sunshine. I think the older I'm getting, the more I start to behave like a cat. I like to sit in the sun. I like to walk outside in the sun. <laughs> and then when I'm back home, I love to sit near the window, the big window in my living room, where at least for, well, I would say half of the day, I've got direct sunlight on this wooden table that is actually a table uh, for outside, for outdoors. It's supposed to be in your garden, but uh, I can't really leave it out in the garden because if, it's, if it rains, um, it will start to affect the wood and I don't have a cover to protect it. So I've, I've just got it inside. I got my little almost feels like a picnic table in my house near the window. I love to sit there in the sun in the morning with a cup of coffee or a cup of tea and my iPad and I just read or I write, I journal and uh, I, I think the older I get the more I'm also impacted by warmth and sunshine uh, than I used to be. Normally, I 
I always had my computer in the rooms with the least amount of daylight because I felt that um, if you're sitting at a desk and looking at a monitor, you don't want to have too much stray light shining in your face or, uh, or on your screen for that matter. And so when I first moved into this rectory, um, my, the place where I spent most of my time working was this tiny little office on the northwestern side of the house. So you only get some sunshine there in the late afternoon towards four or five o'clock and that's it. And most of the time that part of the house is in the shadow and I didn't mind it. But uh, it's also the room that is the coldest of the house and so I had already moved part of my equipment downstairs and if you're following me on on YouTube and you've seen some of the live streams you you may have seen my little hobbit corner where it's uh, nice and cozy that is actually opposite of the the table where I sit in the morning in the sun and uh, that helps a little bit but because it's a very tiny corner of the living room and I'm filming and you need a little bit of depth in the image so that the background is slightly out of focus. Um, I had to use a very tiny desk. I think it's about 55 centimeters in total width, which is nothing. And a regular desk is about 80 centimeters. So it's about two thirds of that. And even though it works for streaming because, well, it's mainly just me talking into the camera and looking at the screen of my of my MacBook to read the comments and the questions. Uh, it's not the best place to work extensively for long hours, for instance, writing or editing. Um, but I also didn't want to go back to my office <laughs> in that tiny, dark, cold room upstairs. And so yesterday I spent... Uh, a few hours rear let me go to the left here uh, wow they've been they've been cutting down some trees here huh this is um uh, the part of this this forest uh, is uh, maintained by an organization that uh, preserves the nature here and but it also means that they have to make sure that the trees get enough light and and water and sometimes these trees are too close to one another, so I guess they uh, did something about it. Some of these trees have had these orange lines around their bark, <laughs> and uh, I already felt, like th and that was done more than half a year ago, and I knew that that was probably a death sentence for those trees, that those orange-marked trees were going to be cut down, and, well, that's what they've been doing, because all the all the the tree stumps here uh or not the stumps but the the trees themselves that have been cut down like this this huge one here they all have orange stripes on them there are a few ones with orange markings that are still standing upright but i guess it's because they can't do the entire forest and and some of them are also cut down because 
uh, they're hollow that there's one there and usually you can tell that they're already sick or you can already tell that they're sick because they have mushrooms uh, growing on the side of the tree so that's usually it's kind of what you like to see in fairy tales you know, mushrooms for gnomes uh, to sit on <laughs> but um, uh, that's all often a sign or almost always a sign of the tree dying and so um, what then happens is that the inside of the tree it may still look like a regular tree it may still even have foliage in the in the summer but on the inside the tree may be rotting and so uh, that can impact the overall stability of the tree and since this is also an open forest and people walk here all the time like I'm walking here almost every day you don't want any of those trees to suddenly collapse on top of uh, podcasting priests <laughs> there are not that many of them in the world so but uh, so I spent most of yesterday uh, setting up a desk in the nicest room upstairs which is the room that I often use as a studio to record my TikToks and uh, uh, the Lego streams are from that room if you recall so um, there is there the room is actually divided into two parts because there the door is in the middle the entrance door and so on the if you enter the room it's a rectangular shape on the right side I've got a corner with uh, uh, a fake fireplace <laughs> and it's just to break up the wall I wanted something um, that is gave it a bit of a homely atmosphere. I don't like those very sterile offices where everything is just, I don't know, bland. And a fireplace for me always channels a feeling of this is this is part of a home. Ever since I went to the uh, the Hobbiton set in the Matamata in the on the northern island of New Zealand, um, I've had that desire to also have fireplaces in my own home. Now this house that I live in right now is built in the 50s and so back then they were already heating uh, the house uh, via central heating first with gas and then later on with uh, also gas powered but more regular modern central heating so there was no need for fireplaces but uh, that's where I like those simple LED fake fireplaces. They look real enough to me. <laughs> And it, it, so it breaks up that wall. And then uh, I also have a TV there and uh, one of my older IKEA chairs, very comfortable. And that's, I call that my study TV because I sit there to analyze um, episodes. So that's where I watch um, anything that I want to comment on in a video. It's also, I hooked it up to uh, um, my older Xbox game console. So like if I want to play a video game and I don't want to sit at a desk, um, then that's where I can sit down. I don't do that very often, but there are days that I I just want to sit and zone out. So I've got a couple of the, the a couple of games that don't require much mental activity, which is really nice. And what I normally do is I I, I put up on an audiobook. So for the last week I've been reading Pillars of the Earth. Um, which is a very long book, 40 hours. 
Um, so I listened to it at three times the speed, which um, with this particular reader is, is very, you know, it's easy to follow and it doesn't feel like I'm missing out on parts of the book. And while I'm listening to the chapters, I'm, I'm playing just a mindless video game. <laughs> no particular goals, nothing. It's just harvesting pumpkins and stuff like that. Um, so that's, that's kind of the part of the room where I sit and relax and sometimes read. And then on the other side is the studio part where I've got the bookshelves as a backdrop. And then uh, the table where I build Lego. And so I, I opened it up a little bit so I could add a second a bigger desk, uh, which is also a standing desk, so I can move that up and down. And that's where I created a new corner for uh, my main computer, for, for the Mac, for the, the new MacBook well, Air, relatively new MacBook Air, which uh, I hooked up to my widescreen monitor. And, uh, and I moved my old MacBook Air, the 11-inch, that is more than 10 years old now, moved it downstairs because for the regular streams uh, downstairs and the podcast streams, I don't need a, I don't need to do anything fancy. So uh, my old MacBook can still handle that, uh, and that that creates a nice uh, uh, new place for me to sit and 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 that is also a room where there's a lot of sunlight because there, it's the room with the most windows. A lot of the windows in this house are are relatively tiny um, because it was built. Um, rather cheaply and I think the bigger the windows at the time in the 50s the more expensive it was this, uh, after all was still the the time of, of rebuilding the country after um, the the effects of, of World War II so but that particular room has a, two balcony doors uh, on the southern part of the of the house and uh, and then two small windows also uh, facing facing southwest, so there's quite a bit of sunshine coming through the, both those those windows, and and so there I've been sitting this morning, just working a bit and uh, uh, writing, making plans, and one of the uh, one of the things that I like is that I enter that room, and it feels friendly. It's warm. There's there's light, and that energizes me. And, and more and more, I'm starting to listen to those signs. It's anything you do in life. It's not just an intellectual thing. It, it also uh, builds on your feelings and on your well-being and your overall um, balance. And I tend to say, I, I, I never really paid much attention to that. Work was work, and it didn't matter where my computer was, even if it was, even if, even if I was locked up in a basement like I was during my studies in Rome, um, where all the editing computers were in the basement of the of one of the buildings of the Gregoriana University. Uh, I didn't care. I remember that room I spent maybe half of my study time in Rome in that basement where there was only this tiny little window that was as big as my arm and it let 
in a tiny bit of light coming from the street. And so while I was working there, you, you'd see the, the, the angles of the, the, the feet of the people walking back and forth uh, to the university and to the center of Rome. And that was all you could see of the day. And then I was just staring at this old computer, uh, working on, on learning how to do video editing with computers crashing all the time. And oh, <laughs> it's incredible that I, uh, I was studying in the most beautiful city of the world and I was spending so much time in that basement. <laughs> but uh, nowadays, I, I'm much more sensitive and I guess I've always been, but I never paid it much attention. I'm much more sensitive to, to things like how does a room feel? And even audio-wise, uh, that room is padded. It's got, I don't know, it's, it's also the most quiet room, except for the windows that leak a bit of traffic noise from the road outside. Oh, but we're going to fix that. Um, but it's a, it's a really nice place to sit and to concentrate. And so um, this morning I, uh, I uh, started to put things in place for um, some of my main projects. Uh, as you know, I've been recalibrating my efforts a little bit over the past few weeks. And a lot of it has to do with uh, me also trying to find a new balance, um, a new energy balance. Um, I've had uh, a number of weeks with, I could call it chronic fatigue because it was fatigue and it was pretty chronic in, in the sense that like more than half of the week I would be dead tired. Um, and if, if you recall in previous episodes of my podcast, I've explained that I was um, using an app that is developed for people that suffer from chronic fatigue type of, uh, of symptoms. Um, and in my case, I'm pretty sure that they are related to the long COVID um, that I <laughs> probably am still suffering from, uh, the effects of COVID. And uh, the app um, asks you to track all your activities even the ones that you would normally completely disregard as having any impact on your overall energy levels. But that's not true. Everything you do, whether it is intellectual or physical, maybe even spiritual, definitely social for me, it all takes away energy. And some activities, some things you do, can actually uh, recharge you. And uh, sitting down... And making an inventory, it was a pain. It took forever. I've done it for a week. And now I'm kind of <laughs> letting it go because it's so much work. Um, I was tracking 16 hours per day. And with increments of about 15 minutes, I would write down. So I've done this. And this cost me... Uh, this is neutral in terms of energy. Or this particular activity cost me like four times the amount of energy that it would cost to just sit here in this chair and read a book. Or even eight times, for instance, like social encounters or um, visitors coming over or phone calls. And, and this is different for everyone, so the app doesn't really prescribe uh, any, um, 
any rating beforehand. You have to kind of figure that. It took me about a week to to really observe how much what I did and what what activities um, cost what amount of energy. And I think in the end, um, I more or less had an overview of okay. So I know that on most days I'm I'm going over the amount of energy that I actually have because it helps me to realize that even if I go for a run, that is healthy, right? I like to be outside. It's recharging my batteries. But at the same time, it's also, uh, it's also taking away a lot of physical energy. You have to also take that into account. So there may be like a long-term mental benefit and, and also a physical benefit for running. But if I run... Like last week, uh, what is it, 26, 27 kilometers, I did the same thing on Monday. I noticed while trekking that that was enough to deplenish all my energy for the rest of the day. And so every time I um, added to other activities, and the kind of the shocking aspect of this is, it's just sports, Right, I do this because I, I want to stay fit. I want to be a little bit fitter, and uh, and also recently there is more. It's good socially for me because I'm part of this running group, and so um, you get to know people and hang out with them. And uh, I've noticed that that is very beneficial for me because most of my other contacts are either parish work-related stuff or um, virtual, well, digital contacts. And so, uh, on the days that I did these longer distances, or very, for instance, very intense uh, training, they call it interval training, where you push yourself, and then you take a break, and you push yourself again. What it does is your heart rate goes up, and then your heart rate goes down again. Your heart rate goes up, and your heart rate goes down. And uh, that is extremely efficient. Um, to get fit quickly and to improve your speed. So I've, I've benefited tremendously of that. But those days, either long distances or high-intensity training, those were days where there was no energy left for anything complicated. And so um, learning from that, I was trying to find a new balance on days that I wanted to train because, of course, I also have to work. <laughs> and uh, I have my responsibilities for the parish. But it means that I have to be much more strategic about how, when I do the things that I do. To give you an example, um, so every week there is this long run that is scheduled, and usually they put that on Sundays in schedules, but that's when most people have a day off. But not me. <laughs> on Sundays, I have work in the parish, and it's also um, very high-intensity work. Uh, maybe not physical, although sometimes I have to take my bike and uh, travel for about 45 minutes to get to some of the parish locations. But especially mentally, because I have you, you're for an hour, you want to make sure that everything counts, everything matters. I want to uh, fully be there and uh, be as inspiring as possible. And so, as you know, I do my homilies. Um, <clears throat> My homilies are prepared, but they're not on paper. So I 
tell stories and I make connections right there on the spot. It requires a, a pretty high in, um, amount or pretty high intensity when it comes to associative thinking, which I'm good at, but at the same time, you cannot drop a beat. It's not like halfway through your homily, like, uh, so I lost my train of thought. Uh, how are we? What was I talking about? <laughs> that may happen when I'm super tired, but uh, normally I want to stay focused for the entire duration of the Mass and especially during the homily. And then afterwards, of course, you've got all the encounters, the pastoral encounters, where you talk with people, you listen to their stories. And um, that too usually adds uh, about an hour, an hour and a half, depending on uh, the kind of conversations that I have. And then I, I take my bike back home and then I'm usually pretty tired. Uh, not always, but this last Sunday... My marathon training schedule told me that I had to run 70, 27 kilometers. But it was also the Sunday on which our new pastor, Father Mauricio, was introduced to the congregations of this parish. And afterwards, I spent maybe three hours talking to people um, because everyone was there. From well, Normally, of course, masses are celebrated in various locations. Um, and it's rare that everyone in the parish come, is together as a community. And in this case, there were also a lot of parishioners of my former parish, where Father Mauricio also came from. And so um, spent hours catching up with people and reminiscing about the good times and also mourning the, the difficult times and the, uh, the, the worries that people have that now that they're you know, parochial vicar is 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 moving uh, to this parish. Over there, they don't know how to continue because he was a huge. Um, uh, he was very influential on the parish and had a great charism. Um, attracted a lot of young people to the church, and so you listen to those stories as well. So I'm happy, but I'm also have to create room and empathy for their sadness of of saying farewell to a, a very highly um, appreciated priest so I came back uh, back home and I, I already felt like ah, I, want, I want to run and I know that if I don't then I will have to run on Monday which then will probably take away most of my energy that I normally would put into work um so this would be the best day to go run those 27 kilometers. And yet I decided against it. And I was proud of myself. I told myself, nope. <laughs> you have to be honest. This was a very intense Sunday morning. Uh, I was home at 2 in the afternoon. So I didn't even have had, didn't have time to, to have lunch. You're now going to just eat something. Maybe even sleep for an hour. And you're going to spend the rest of the Sunday reading. So physically doing nothing too strenuous uh, and also mentally. Don't, don't overdo it. And we'll see tomorrow. And so that's what I did. And, on, and I'm glad I did because I, I went to sleep for about an hour. And when I woke up, that's, how I, that's when I felt how tired I really was. Um, 
And then on Monday, Monday morning, I woke up and I was rested. I felt great. I was like, okay, wow, that Sunday really gave me what, what I needed. And that is some extra rest, some balance. On this morning, I feel strong. I feel energetic. And I'm going to run those 27 kilometers, which I did. Um, and it was, it was great. It was just one of those days where I run and I don't even realize that I'm running. It was just so... I was in the zone and thinking. The, so what I told myself was, I, you know, this is a working day. And I know that running is a luxury to a certain extent. Uh, however, it's not my priority is not just work. My priority is also, especially now that I've been suffering from those chronic fatigue episodes... It's a high priority for me to find, to find that balance and to make sure that every day I can function and I don't have those relapses because I'm overextending myself or I'm, I want to go back to my usual work rhythm too quickly. And so running is also part of that priority to get fit, get healthy, get stronger. And... Uh, and so I went out for a run, but I also said, hey, I can run listening to music or to podcasts or an audiobook, but I can also just run without anything in my ears and I'll just spend two hours and 45 minutes. That was the time allotted to those 27 kilometers. I can spend two hours and 45 minutes thinking about the documentary that I'm going to edit for the rest of the week. And uh, uh, here I have to uh, quickly look back on, oh, my watch is talking to me. <laughs> I still have to get used to the, the Apple watch. Um, so when, it, when you say I'm going for a walk, it will start counting the kilometers and every kilometer I get a little nudge on my wrist and uh, it says how much I've walked. Very useful when you're running, not so useful when you're just walking. Um, last week I had a, uh, an encounter with uh, Hugo, um, who is my, uh, my, my main cameraman, editor, director uh, for all my television work. And we've been, we had an open brainstorm morning in, uh, at the Starbucks in, uh, in Amersfoort. I had to be in Amersfoort that day. And uh, I was like, well, well, he lives there. Let's meet and uh, let's catch up and maybe develop some ideas. So we've been uh, uh, thinking about future television productions and documentaries. And, um, and we talked about this idea that I've uh, had for a long time now, where uh, I would love to make a series about the importance of stories and how both stories from the... The great religions of the book, like uh, Judaism and Islam and Christianity, uh, to modern—I uh, wouldn't say religions, but definitely a modern phenomena, storytelling-based phenomena, like the big stories right now: Disney, Marvel, Star Wars—you uh, name it. We seem to be reveling in, in 
storytelling and we're very good at it today. And uh, I know from my studies in social communications that stories are incredibly powerful and, and, and also essential when it comes to uh, transmitting values to younger generations and, keeping, uh, and creating a cohesive social fabric for society. If you don't have common stories and don't have common values that you believe in, cultures tend to fall apart. And we see that happening in today's world where the narrative is more important than the actual fact. And the stories that people believe or are led to believe determine their decisions, their politics, their actions. I don't think anyone would deny that. But we also see that there are many opposing narratives. And of course, there's a lot to say about that if if you've been following the news around Twitter and alternative social media platforms that are now emerging, now that Twitter is more contentious and more uh, uh, is changing their uh, their their approach, their uh, uh, even even their money making, um, uh, how would you say that, their their business model, <laughs> all that has impact on the way that people interact and and so you get a lot of that opposition and and uh um it's it's worrisome uh because i think it has the potential because the stories that we tell each other are so powerful if we tell opposite you know opposed opposing stories our society can break apart but there is also an opportunity there for common values and common storytelling. Uh, so what are the places where, just like religion has always tried, not always succeeded, but definitely tried. Where am I? I think, oh, I've been here last Saturday when we were running here. I recognize the path for the horses here. <laughs> it was a group of kids and they were riding horses. And um, apparently it was the first time because they had a lot of trouble <laughs> staying on their horses. At least one girl had. And so we, we saw that happening. We were running here on the bike lane, which uh, probably also um, something that you have to be careful here. Like, these bikes are going downhill, so they're going very fast. So you have to watch where you're walking. Anyway, so uh, the... What was I saying? Uh, Religions have always uh, used stories, just like Jesus did in the Gospel, where he tells stories um, to bring people together and to tell them there once was this king, and everybody knows what a king is. And he had uh, workers for him, and he wanted to organize a party, and then nobody came, and then he said... So everybody who listens to that story is engaged. Uh, theoretical discourses are not always the most effective way of communicating. And so, uh, but a story is very hard to resist. And this is why Jesus used a lot of stories. He came from a storytelling tradition, uh, being brought up with the Jewish faith and, uh, you know, how important storytelling is and has remained always so strong 
in in Judaism, uh, he he used those stories to to bring people together. They were all listening to the same story, but they were from very different backgrounds. You had uh, pagans, Roman soldiers, listening to his stories. Um, you had the Samaritans, the uh, traditional Jewish um, crowd that was that he was a part of, and um, uh, you had the Pharisees. You had people from upper class, lower class, people that were sick. But they were all listening to that story. His his own disciples were listening to the story, and then he started to explain to his disciples what the story meant. Uh, and and people were challenged sometimes to think, well, what does this story mean for me? Who am I in this story? And th- then through the story, they learned lessons about their real life. This is how stories work. So anyway, that's a little bit of theoretical background as to why I'm so um, fascinated into the power of storytelling and why I believe it is worth investigating where stories bring us together today. And that's not always happening on Twitter. (laughs) But it does happen in other realms um, where you see the people of different backgrounds and beliefs even uh, coming together, definitely different cultures, and all be... be, um, immersed in in good storytelling and i i also know that we in fact have much more in common than we think and stories because they are not not immediately related to the uh, cultural historical back uh, circumstances in which we live they tend to help us to find those common values because the, what normally would divide us, you know, what party we vote for or uh, which football team is our favorite team and uh, all that doesn't really matter when you're listening to a story. Because it's, you know, it's, 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 uh, remote, it's rem- remote enough for you to forget about those real life differences. And so you've, you, you're looking for... And you are finding other people in common values. I think that that was one of the major uh, things that I loved so much at the Star Wars celebration and uh, why I tend to go to those fantasy fairs uh, as often as I can because I meet so many wonderful people that in real life I probably have a ton of uh, differences with and I wouldn't really meet them. But there I meet them because they too love stories and you, 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 you discover what binds us together in those liminal environments because that's actually what it is. A liminal environment is a, is a place that... It's like, a, like a, going to a movie theater. That's a liminal experience where the outside world disappears, literally the room goes dark and on the screen you see an, a brand new world where nothing is the same as your regular life, and yet it is. Um, And you learn in that liminal world, in that liminal space, you learn lessons that you can then apply once you walk out of the movie theater. So for me, this is a very good entry point 
for my own storytelling, which of course as a program maker, I do all the time, because it helps me to connect with both people of my own world, as a Christian, as a Catholic, um, from a, a, a white, uh, male, <laughs> Western, etc., etc., etc. But if I start with storytelling, I can then connect the big stories of faith with the big stories of modern entertainment and modern culture. And maybe even I could, I could do uh, a similar thing with stories from the past. I, you know, uh, that I love to travel and make these more historical documentaries where I go visit, like what I did in Tuscany last year, where I was in this medieval village on top of a hill in a small town that, that was very remote and so tiny compared to Florence, for instance, where it's just exuberant and it's high culture there and that's where all, where all the action happened in the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. And, and then you had that small town and yet they too had their stories they had their heroes there was this nun who lived uh in isolation uh locked up in a tiny little cell that you could actually visit and and it was super small she only had like a small window on the left and tiny little window on the right people would bring her bread and then she would give them fresh flowers which nobody understood where they came from and so uh, she she was a gift to that particular village because she prayed for the people, um, and then there were, there were stories that she saved children from a, a house that was in flames and nobody dared to go there. Some more bikes, and uh, and then and she's she's still lying there in a in a coffin, an open coffin. Like her skeleton is still on display. And I loved discovering that story. I'd never heard of it. And yet, you feel that this is so important for the identity of this town. For them having this, this young woman who was a hero of a totally different type than the big cultural heroes that lived in Florence and were working for the richest people in, 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 in Italy back then or in that part of the world. Uh, building cathedrals and painting and sculpting. But this town was, you know, they found their pride and their common um, ideals in, in the example of this nun who, uh, who, who, who lived a very small and hidden life, and yet she was so important. And she brought God's love in, 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 in her world in many different forms and shapes. So anyway... I can so I can I can see it's it's all I could just do a, like an historical documentary, but if I insert it into a, a bigger narrative of the, I'm I'm I want to find the stories that bring us together, that give us hope, that make us dream, that help us to connect with people, even with people that are not from my background and maybe from a different cultural. Uh, uh, world we need we need stories and we need to rediscover the 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 power of storytelling and uh, and sometimes um, you can do that just by telling those stories and by finding them and that's that's my passion um, 
so we, I was talking with Hugo about that, and we, we, we started to just think, well, how could you turn that into a series? What would it take? Would this be something that you could air on TV? Um, how, how do you uh, produce something like that without it uh, breaking the bank? Um, so we exchanged a ton of ideas. Nothing specific, of course, because um, this is this is a this is a big project, and um, as I mentioned before, in this in on this walk, I'm still in the process of finding my my balance and recalibrating my my life uh, energy-wise. So I don't want to uh, rush into any big projects and certainly not uh, commit myself to things that I don't even know if I will have the energy and the time for. But it was good to, to uh, be in that free-form, creative mode for a while. And then... Uh, and, and so uh, there was one thing that I took from that meeting, and that was... Uh, this, this is a priority for me. Which means, energy-wise... I have to put it first. Like if, if, if my priority is to run that marathon in April, um, I always need to run the kilometers. I, this schedule is non-negotiable. You can skip uh, shorter runs uh, every once in a while, but not too often. But these bigger runs, you just have to run them. But it also means that I have to prioritize that, do that first thing in the morning, and then not schedule the rest of the day full of other stuff that will that will um, demand too much energy. Because then, after a couple of days of overcharging myself, I'm going to collapse. And then I can't do anything. So, uh, I, I realized that well, the same thing is true for documentary making. I have to make that a priority time-wise and put it first... And do the other things that I, that I also like to do. Um, I have to divide them over the rest of the available time. Um, and maybe space them out a little bit more. Uh, and, or maybe some stuff will have to wait. And that's what I've been doing this morning. I was sitting at, my, at that desk in, the, in this new editing space. That part of the studio. And... Uh, um, there were a couple of things that emerged. First of all, I need to start editing uh, because it's 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 one thing to plan and to think, but this 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 grows when I'm working on it. So I I am uh, going to dedicate a number of hours in the morning to editing because in the morning that's where I'm most creative. Um, Whereas in the afternoon, I will do the other things. Uh, but I will keep them low energy because I want to have my, my full creative focus on that documentary process. It doesn't mean that I, don't have to do, uh, that I can't do anything else, but it will have to be measured. Like, for instance, this morning. So since I sat down this morning, uh, starting to prepare the hard drive and, you know, where are my... Where's my footage? What is the story that I'm going to start with? Well, obviously, it's, it's, it's Star Wars is the most, uh, I think, urgent theme because that's, that's going to be 
uh, a main focus for me in the months to come with the celebration in London and everything. That's number one. But then podcasting, oftentimes with the walk, I would record that uh, in the morning. And now I, I'm actually recording this during lunchtime. I just had lunch and uh, um, I'm taking a walk, which is good for digestion. And at the same time, it doesn't interfere that much with the rest of my day. Um, the second thing that I reflected upon this morning was uh, writing. As you know, um, for uh, some of those uh, shorter videos that I make, I, I write short stories. Um, and writing is also a pretty intense uh, creative process. It's not something I do easily, um, especially if it's an educational uh, article or something. Hello. Hello. <laughs> uh, it, it is pretty demanding. Um, and I also, uh, this, is a, this is something I've been wanting to do for a while now. It's been 10 years since um, I, I published uh, Confessions of a, a Geek Priest, which was a book about back, what I did back then, which was uh, very similar to what I do today. <laughs> making TV shows and um, podcasting mainly. Uh, and I feel like it, since it's been 10 years, I've learned so much um, that would be worth sharing. But I'm, I can talk about this in my podcast, but then you always have that discovery issue. Uh, podcasts like this one are great because you have already found me. Um, but it's, it's very hard for people to start listening to The Walk if they don't know me. Because I spent the first 10 minutes talking about crocuses. You know, that's not going to give you a very good hook for what's to come. Um, and it often takes me a while uh, in this free-form podcast to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And I usually don't know that when I start recording. Um, but if I want to share my experiences in a more structured way, that could be helpful for other people that would like to... Uh, improve their uh, communication or storytelling, then I, I think that one of the best forms would be to, to write another book. But of course, I cannot schedule uh, three, four months um, to write a new book. I, I just don't have that luxury. But I can write it, maybe, <laughs> I'm being very careful here, uh, in small parts, where I I write short chapters or maybe even parts of chapters in a serialized way. Um, I don't know if it was here on the walk or on the break that I uh, mentioned Substack. Uh, some of you already know what that is, but in case you're wondering, well, uh, what's that? It sounds a bit like uh, something for computer nerds, Substack something for programmers, but it is, um, it's a, a bit of a blend between a newsletter and a blog. Um, what it allows you to do is to, is to write short blog posts 
but then to send them out as if they are a newsletter. And if I look at my own uh, subscription list, in e my email uh, subscriptions, the, there are a lot of different types of, of newsletters. Some of them are just like, hey, here's what we did today and, or this week, click here for the latest episode and click here for an article that I wrote. Um, those usually just kind of more news-oriented, link-filled newsletters I tend to automatically sort into a, ma uh, into a folder and I, I don't always look at that at their contents, but then there are the narrative newsletters that I do read, and I really like that form where it's just someone sharing a bit of his or her life and telling a story, something that they, uh, that they experience and then it reflects upon it. And it's like li reading a bit of a book. And wow, I don't know if you heard that, but there is a big tree falling in the distance. So they are still working on the forest. I have to make sure that I'm not anywhere near these uh, these workers because I don't want to get hit by falling trees. So um, uh, the what I like about the Substack model is it makes newsletters more part of what I already do, which is storytelling. It's long form. Um, so it fits me much better than a promotional email newsletter, which is the only type that I've been producing every once in a while in the past. Uh, we use MailChimp, which is one of the uh, best-known uh, newsletter services. Uh, but it's, uh, it's, it's not a real uh, good... Uh, um, uh, it's not... An, what was I going to say? I was distracted by my watch talking to me. Uh, the thing is with, with um, MailChimp is uh, it, it originally, a couple of years ago, if you signed up for that, you, you could start out sending free emails up until 2,000 recipi uh, reci recipients. And so I think the old... Uh, rules which we were grandfathered in um, allowed you to have 2,000 members or subscribers to your newsletter and send out a maximum of 10,000 mails per month. Now, recently, they restricted that to only 500 members and I think only 2,000 or 3,000 uh, mailings per month. So it's very limited uh, and then you have to pay. And the, I mean, I understand because, of course, it's a, their business model is we provide you with this very rock-solid, uh, well-respected email service, but we have to make money. <laughs> so that model requires you to pay. The more successful your newsletter is, the more you pay. This is where Substack is an interesting alternative. Because Substack has a different business model. And I, I, I'm interested in that because it allows me to blog. The, it's much easier uh, to use than MailChimp as an interface. It's also something I'm very familiar with, just writing articles and then adding a picture and then posting it. Um, and the email aspect of it is just uh, something you can just, with by ticking one box, you can say, hey, I want all my email subscribers to receive this in their email. 
the way they make their money is not by having you pay for the amount of emails that you send out or members but you can add in addition to free uh, posts and emails you can also um, have subscription-based email newsletters so for instance if i would uh, write like a i don't know Say I want to uh, organize a course in communication and I want to help people to be more successful on social media. I have some lessons that I can share. Um, I could write a course, send it out as a paid subscription. And so people that would pay, I don't know, uh, it's a bit like what Patreon also offers. Uh, you can do any tier. Say, for instance, I'm going to put some extra effort in that. This is very valuable content. It's five bucks a month, a month, and then you will get a, a certain number of these very, very well thought out emails. In addition to the free stuff that I send to anyone, to everyone, and that is that's where Substack takes a ten percent uh, cut of uh, of your revenue. And what I like about this is they only make money. And I think 10% is actually quite reasonable. Uh, there are lots of services that uh, take, like, I don't know, um, YouTube is uh, is much more, or, or for instance, if you publish on Amazon, they take a lot bigger percentage than Substack does. So 10%, but they only make money if you make money. Uh, and this business model has apparently been super successful because uh, a lot of, High-profile writers and bloggers have uh, are now using their system, and so they they make a decent amount of money just by the sheer volume of the people that use Substack. So the, the, the big advantage for me is there is no ceiling anymore, and there is not you don't run the risk of incurring huge costs if your newsletter all of a sudden becomes super popular. Um. And I kind of like the idea that I can still reach um, my email subscribers whenever I have truly something to say. So, um, so I pitched this last week, I think, on Discord, and maybe I talked about it also in a podcast, and already got some some feedback from the community, uh, where some of you said, "Hey, yeah, I love Substack. I'd love to read. Um, I'd, I'd love to read." <laughs> about your thoughts and experiences in addition to listening to podcasts. And not everyone is uh, audit... How do you say that? And some people just like to read <laughs> and not just listen. Um, just as there are many people that prefer podcasts over videos. Because podcasts, you can listen to them when you're doing something else, like you are doing right now. <laughs> I'm just assuming that you're doing something in addition to listening to this podcast. Um, so um, I got some early encouragements for that. Uh, and th at the same time, <clears throat> part of what I did this morning was to um, g get my bearings. So how does this work? How would this work? What is required in terms of commitment if I were to do this? And so I'm trying to reconcile both this um, this desire to share my experiences in a different form than just talking about it or filming it, um, and also to maybe start to gather stories and pr produce stories for 
a sequel to my first book and condensating the lessons learned over the past 10 years. And there's a lot you can learn in 10 years. Um, and then maybe even gather some thoughts about something that I've been mulling, mulling, how do you say that? Mulling around or mulling about in my head? Sometimes I only know the first part of the expression anyway. Uh, and that is, I would like to um, develop a something like a course or training for people that like me want to uh, want to improve their communication skills that is that's my speciality it's also uh, why I went to Rome it was to study exactly this social communications how does that work and uh, with the explosion of uh, of 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 creativity and storytelling in all these different media, I think I could help. Um, but if I want to do that, I, I think it, it, it should be in the form of a course or a training. And um, there was another thing that uh, Hugo told me last uh, last Wednesday. Um, so he's uh, he's a freelancer. So he works for TV, works for uh, universities, and he's also working with a friend of his who is a, uh, a hermit uh, priest, lives in the northern part of the country. Um, and as a hermit, because he doesn't serve a parish, he too is, uh, uh, like me, a bit, um, depending on, on donations and on, uh, on, on the followers to help him continue his life as a, as a hermit. Um, and Hugo told me that he had been developing with this priest... Um, a course in, I think, in mystic theology or something like that. Um, and, and so I saw a, a, one of those lessons, and it was a, a video. But what he does is he, he, he has a course of, I think, like 10 videos about... Uh, now, I don't exactly recall the topic. I think it was something like mysticism or mystic theology. Um, and he's a very gifted writer, um, but of course, if you want to make a video, you can't just have a talking head for uh, 45 minutes. So um, Hugo used uh, a lot of uh, on-camera footage in, in, in combination with uh, stock footage. You know, there are services that you can subscribe to and they allow you to use a ton of stock footage uh, without any you know, legal problems. It's, it's, uh, uh, for, if it's for YouTube, you can use it uh, without getting any copyright claims. And I was looking at that. I was hmm, that looks actually really good. But then he adds to that sessions after, so that each lesson airs on a certain day. And then the week after, there is a live session using Zoom or Microsoft Meetings where there's a Q&A. Um, and some additional, like one-on-one -on -one coaching, helping people to, if they have questions, to uh, apply what they've learned, because everybody's supposed to have seen that video lesson, and then to talk about it together, which adds, of course, tremendous value to the whole experience. And I, I listened to that, and I'm thinking, that would be so appropriate for my line of work 
And this could help so many people. How often do I get emails like, oh, could you please come to our parish and help us uh, brainstorm about how we can improve our communication on social media? That's what I'm known for. Um, sometimes also internationally when people ask me, well, we would somehow would like to set up something for dioceses. And I've, I've made tours in the past where I, uh, I gave talks at uh, communication departments of... Uh, a uh, number of dioceses in New Zealand and uh, had some meeting, like spoke at a conference in, in Australia. But that's always like a one-time occasion, a one-time moment. But what if I could do the same in the form of a course where I spend time, uh, you know, how can I communicate what I've learned over these, what is it, 25 years that, I'm work, that I've been working in media, all sorts of media, from radio, television to social media and, and writing and blogging. What if I could condensate that into a course so I can pass on that knowledge and that experience to people that want to do the same and maybe can do it much better than I can do, but I can help because I have something that a lot of communicators don't have and that is tons and tons of experience and, and, and lots of stories about what worked but more importantly, also tons of stories about what didn't work and what I've learned. And also not just about the communication as such, but also about you as a communicator. What are the pitfalls? What, what can make you stronger? How can you um, balance your spiritual life with your communication efforts, etc., etc.? There's, there's so many possibilities for that. And the more I thought about that, the more I got excited and I was thinking that is that I want to do something with this idea. And it's maybe even more important than just writing a book. What if the book itself becomes a I'm not sure if this is an English word as well, but we used it in in when I was studying in in uh in Belgium in, in the French language called the syllabus. I think it's the same word, right? Like a, it's an accompanying book. Um, that goes hand in hand with with a course, um, but that's where you find all the information neatly condensed and and, uh, and systematically explained. What if I could write and in the process build up a course, a communications course that covers all these various areas of communication? Now, of course, I also try to <laughs> to play the devil's advocate in this. Because I know myself, and I know that if I've cre- if I have ideas and I get excited, um, I tend to rush into things without thinking it through. Um, but this is also something that would require uh, quite a bit of effort and time uh, and energy. And my priority is to balance things and to not dive headfirst into pools without knowing if I can swim to the other side. Wow, that was a metaphor that just popped into my head. <laughs> Talking about associative, associative thinking. So, um, the arguments against this project, first of all, documentaries take a lot of time. You're going to write a book? That also takes a lot of time. Plus, you want to start a substack and sending out uh, uh, blog posts on a consistent basis in addition to your podcasts and you're running 
and your Lego, the, whatever. It's too much. You can't do that. So that's number one. Um, and I'm not going to say anything about that. that. It's important to first get everything out, you know, pros and contras, and then you reflect on it, you pray on it, you think about it, you talk about it with other people. You know, you, you get counsel from people that uh, may have a different perspective on this. I want to ask the community, of course. This is why I'm talking about it with you. So that's the first argument. Second argument would be, well, giving a course in communication. Anyone can do that. I mean, there are tons of books about that. And why, why would you add to that? Uh, people can just Google it. Uh, of course, this also is often an argument that people use against themselves as part of their imposter syndrome. Who am I to be teaching other people? I'm not even that good. I'm not that special. There are, pretty, there are lots and lots of experts that do a much better job than I. So I always take these counter arguments with a grain of salt. What I think it would be my specific uh, strength in this area is the 25 years of experience. Um, going dating all the way back to my little Star Wars website that I made <laughs> around the time that the prequels were in production, the Star Wars prequels. Um, but so that's that's number one. Plus, I got stories to tell, and it's much more interesting to learn from stories, including the failures and the f- whatever. Uh, it's much more interesting to hear about those personal stories from someone that you know and trust than uh, just reading a book of theory or following some generalized ideas in a, in a video on YouTube. Um, and then the third argument is, of course, my field is, is right on the, the uh, crossroads between faith and modern culture, which is where a lot of the disconnects happen. So a very specific target audience for this would be other people, Christians, people of faith like me, that struggle to share their passion and what enriches their lives with a world that doesn't even know that that there is something like that out there. Don't share their language, culture. Um, And so, and I think it's not just vital for the world to engage the world of faith. It's just as important the other way around for people of faith to engage the culture. And I think that's, that's exactly where I've been living my life for the past 25 years. And that's pretty rare. This is, I think, why I wrote the book, my first book, Geek Priest, 10 years ago. Maybe it was even longer ago. Um, I don't recall, actually. how It's been a long time, anyway. But it was exactly to do that, to, to tell people there is a way. Everybody was telling me <clears throat> the time of the church is over. Um, even the people of the church were kind of very pessimistic about their chances to, to uh, relate to, their, to the culture that surrounded them. And some people get very pessimistic and even negative about, um, about culture. They take, take like a contrasting stance, like the world is going to hell, basically, unless they join us. And if they don't join us, it's their, it's their fault. We blame them. And of course, none of, none of that leads to 
effective uh, encounters. And so, anyway, this is uh, why I wanted to write a book that is positive and shows the possibilities and, and illustrating it with things that were already happening. So it wasn't just, I have this theory, I have this dream. No, I live this dream. Let me tell you about it. But of course, as I mentioned, you can't do everything at once. You have to, uh, you have to make choices if the documentaries are a priority. Then I should prioritize that also in the way I divide my time and attention. But the writing itself, I think, has some very strong arguments to carve out time for that. But of course, can't do both. Can't do... Well, I can do both, but not 100%. <laughs> so, if I can find a balance between documentaries and writing, and those two would have my full attention, and then the rest, like the streaming, etc., I would have to keep that at a very kind of low... Um, intensity keep it keep it as simple as possible not be overly ambitious when it comes to building up a tiktok audience etc <sighs> all of that there there's so many things that you can pursue but it's all about the choices that you make and the more focus of course the more ultimately i'm i may build something that will have lasting value and that's more interesting than immediate success to wrap things up just final thing I wanted to share with you. This another thing I did this morning was uh, uh, cleaning up uh, some of my Twitter accounts. Back in the days when Twitter was uh, the place to be, I registered maybe 30, 40 different Twitter handles, um, and almost every podcast that I produced had its own Twitter handle because I was still. Uh, <laughs> convinced that the more the merrier you know it's spread a wide net and of course that's totally not what i'm doing today but all those uh twitter accounts were still there and since uh, uh the twitter api is shutting down which means you cannot use external programs anymore to um, moderate and manage those twitter files i wanted to clean up most of them that i no longer use before I think it's tomorrow on Thursday that the API will shut down. Um, so I sat down and I deleted a ton of old stuff on Twitter. Was, uh, on my Father Roderick account, it went back to 2013. And it was a bit of a... Con <laughs> it was hard to, to watch a younger me. This is like 10 years ago. Uh, and I see uh, myself just all over the place posting tweets 10 times a day about all sorts of things and it's one wacky idea after another one link to podcast so and so and stream this and stream that and reacting to other people and retweeting and it is just insane <laughs> at the same time it was a moment to realize how far I've come and to also realize that a lot of that truly did not have any lasting impact yes it gave me 16,000 followers but then of course the algorithm 
uh, is constructed in such a way nowadays that you don't ever reach those 16,000 people. So was it worth the effort? I don't think so, ultimately. It was important to go through that experience because I learned from it. But ultimately, I think it wasted a lot of my energy uh, because it, it, it was just all over the place. And so um, that was a good, it was a good experience. Uh, to spend some time looking at how I used to work in the media 10 years ago uh, at a time where I'm recalibrating myself and trying to find my focus. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this, especially if you're one of my patrons. Um, let's, let's talk about this uh, on Discord, uh, about the writing, maybe about the training or the communication scores, about the documentaries. Um, and of course as usual I will keep you uh, informed about my progress and about that balance that I'm uh, that I'm working on thank you so much for the privilege of your time and um, we'll talk soon God bless <laughs>